Telecom make it in. Should we bother even doing it? No, he's the only one who knows anything out of all of us. So. Yeah, that's a fair point, man. No, nah, fuck it off. <laughs> With me today, Martin Theobald. Yeah, about a day later. Well, it'll be for them, because I've got to publish this a day later, because normally I would publish it, although it might actually be Monday evening, so it won't be a day later, as much as, say, 12 hours later. All right, fair enough, but fair enough. Get, we get pilloried for it if it's not, like, bang on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so. the only feedback we get is, you're shit, you haven't, delivered. You haven't <laughs> yeah, put it out like, on, the on the Sunday. Where's that free podcast? Um... <laughs> Terry's not with us today. Terry's actually doing boxing stuff. Yeah, he's been down to the uh, Harringay Box Cup in London, which is a huge amateur boxing event at Alice, uh, Ali Pally, Alexander Palace, whatever it's called. Um, yeah, with his club Double Jab. So uh, I hope they've done well. I haven't really kept up to date with results, if I'm honest. It's Father's Day, so I've been uh, getting treated, taken out for a spa, and uh, yeah, well, that kind of up and down the dump twice, once. <laughs> <coughs> uh, so what yeah. out of that is actually true no I've been to a dump I haven't been to a spa <laughs> at all I've been to a dump I've cooked lunch of it's any other Sunday there you go exciting stuff okay um, I guess we should talk about boxing then um, may as well <laughs> made the effort to come in <laughs> so Quala versus Linares has been announced yeah what are your thoughts okay so um <clears throat> I've got two lots of thoughts about it, I suppose. One is that it's a really, really, really good fight. Um, so it's the Anthony Crawler. We kind of know the story now. Um, you know, his beating of Dali Perez for the uh, the WBA lightweight title and then uh, defending it against Barroso. Uh, Barroso was the man who retired off Kevin Mitchell. Now Kevin Mitchell's uh, defeat before that came against Jorge Linares, who is now coming over again to take on... Um, Anthony Crawler. So it's a really good fight. Linares is probably arguable by many uh, the number one lightweight in the world. So it gives Crawler the opportunity to uh, to try and cement himself as being the number one lightweight in the world, as say uh, Eddie Hearn claims that he is. So yeah, like there's no downside to it at all. It's happening in September in Manchester. Um, so from a fighting perspective, there's no downside to it, but already and we're what three months out you're getting there's a load of like belt nonsense around it um there's a load of just garbage so (laughs) Linares was the WBC lightweight title holder um and he got injured he was meant to defend his title against Slatikanin who uh, some people remember for beating Ricky Burns in a bit of an upset well Slatikanin has gone on to uh to claim the lightweight title himself um now, Linares was made champion in recess, and uh, that means that essentially when he comes back, he's meant to fight the the new champion, which is Slatikanin. And uh, instead of doing that, the WBC have said, uh, no, well, we'll take the sanctioning fees, we'll make you our diamond belt holder, and then you can go and fight Crawler. And then the winner of that fight has to fight Slatikanin. So... And this this is where oh. you then get all the, the bollocks, frankly, around Eddie Hearn going like, oh, yeah, but he's the WBC diamond title holder. There's only been, like, a handful of them. There was Sergio Martinez. What was... So what is the diamond belt holder? <laughs> it's meant to be when you unify titles. And so it's a WBC thing. Like, they've got their own diamond belt. So if you're out unifying titles, um, then they give you a diamond one. So, so so if you hold the belts from all the other, like the rec- most it, it doesn't have to be all of them, but if you can um, hold one or more, yeah, of the WBC and one other, and one other, and they'll give you a diamond belt. So they're making this for a diamond belt, but in the meantime, <laughs> they've still got a regular. So they wouldn't normally do that. You would just normally still be the champion, but you'd be given a diamond belt if you go off and like unify with somebody else. Um. 
I don't understand that. Like, it's just such pointlessness. Yeah, so what the process should be, he goes back to fight Zlatan in, and you get one title holder in that division for the WBC. And then that winner could then go on, say, and fight Anthony Crawler. But instead, they're <laughs> yeah. Instead, they're, they're like circumventing their own processes and saying, "Just come straight back out of injury, go and fight somebody else, and we'll keep our own title holder as well." And it becomes like the WBA where they have their regular and their super champions. Yeah, well, that's what it's... immediately reminded me of. Yeah, but I just don't get it. A boxing governing body bending its own rules in order to suit its own agenda. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is strange. To get additional sanctioning fees, really? <laughs> wow, so wow. Are we sure we got this right? Weird. But I say that's the is the annoying thing, really. But then that's modern boxing, I guess, isn't it? Like it's a really, really good fight. There's no denying that at all, and I'm looking forward to it. And fair play to Hearn for getting it on. But then they have to throw in these belts, and like it just feels like it just smacks of some sort of like uh, you're in a classroom, you got uh, 20 kids, and you're right that table you're the WBC you're the WBA yeah. tell them all the rules and all the fighters they've got, and they just whack up two like random boxes on the board and then one of the kids puts the hand up and goes yeah I will do that one yeah but you can't because of this this and this alright then well he can have a diamond belt that I've just created <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and yeah well then we'll just withdraw this and uh, alright then yeah fair enough like some sort of improvisation act or something yeah, it, it, just it doesn't, is it, oh. it doesn't look good on the sport stuff like well, that well it just discredits them doesn't it I just feel anyway but yeah so the winner is meant to take on Zlatan in time we'll see if that happens or not but how how is this in terms of what does this do for Crawler's projection of his career? Because it's a positive move, right? Oh, it's huge, yeah. Is uh... so where does he where does he? I mean, let's look at this as a stepping stone. He goes Zlatan in. What where does I realise that this is kind of really looking forward, but where does he go? Where, what can he cite, set his sights on after that? Is it unifying the division? Well. Yeah, I suppose. Um, like in on paper, the Linares fight is a harder fight than Zlatikarnin, and so if he comes through this, you would back him to beat Zlatikarnin. Although, unarguably, Linares is probably <laughs> unarguably he's probably. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, that's a bit of a uh, uh, cock up, but um, <laughs> yeah, Linares is on a, a downward trajectory in his career. I think he's getting on a bit. He's been in some tough wars. The Kevin Mitchell fight was hard. Uh, he's been out injured since then. You know, it's all the telltale signs that a career isn't at its peak. It's kind of on a downward. It. So Crawler yeah. may be getting him at the right time. But yeah, on paper, it's a harder fight than Zlatikarnin. Now, the, the obvious fight that a lot of fans are asking for is the Terry Flanagan fight, who's a WBO lightweight title holder. The two of them went to the same school in Manchester. Um and so, like, there, there's a lot of, you'll see a lot of, if you follow it online, people that, like, when Hearn comes out saying, oh, he's the best, uh, Crawler's the best lightweight in the world, will prove it by beating Linares. You'll see a lot of people go back to him saying, look, he's not even the best from his school. Like, Terry <laughs> Flanagan was the best <laughs> in his school. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, hopefully, we'll see the Terry Flanagan one. But it, Terry Flanagan... And there was an interview with Hearn this week um, where he was talking about Flanagan needs to boost his profile. And I think he's right, really. Like At the moment, there's more money, more oh, gravitas yeah. in beating somebody like Jorge Linares than there is in beating Terry Flanagan. Well, and there's definitely more sort of buzz around Crawler as well. Yeah. Just yeah. generally speaking. Um, you know, Crawler is the... I don't like to use the term particularly, but the A-side out of those two. Um, you know, more people know of him. And maybe that is down to, you know, his um, his out-of-the-ring stuff where he got attacked um, when he was defending his neighbour's house oh, and stuff right. like that. So maybe yeah, that is why... There was a spate of that, wasn't there, at that time. I always get mixed. This is the paving slab one, right? This is. This is the one he got slabbed over the head um, mm. defending his neighbour's house. And it was doubtful whether he'd ever fight again. He's gone on from there to win a world title and now looking to unify world titles. So, um, you know, maybe people know that story, but irrespective of what it is, it's he is undoubtedly the the bigger name out of the two of them. Uh, who promotes Terry Flanagan? Frank Warren does, so that lends itself to all sorts of political mucking about and what have you. Um, Frank Warren has already come out and said, and this kind of like it almost smacks a little bit of desperation, like he's showing his cards a little bit early because they haven't even started negotiations for the fight. But he said. The fight can take place on Sky, doesn't need to be on Box Nation. 
Um, you know, like he's made comments about they'd pay Flanagan's part of the purse or whatever. So he's painting it as being the good guy. Like, let's overcome all the political stuff. It's a good fight. Let's just see a good fight. Um, and trying to like make it seem, and maybe legitimately is, maybe is legitimately like trying to overcome those things so that they get a good fight. Now, the problem they've got is that there's no money particularly for Box Nation and Frank Warren to bring good fighters over for Terry Flanagan. Um, so he's fighting some guy, Farner, on the undercard of the Klitschko Fury fight, and it's a shocking, horrible fight. It's a 42 year old African geezer that's lost like five of his last nine. Um, and yeah, so it's a miserable fight. That was one. one of them in a Congolese prison. I'd have put five of them probably <laughs> in a Congolese. That's when you know you're a hardcore African boxer. Yeah, it's a horrible mismatch of a fight. Um, and so in the meantime, you know, Warren's talking about getting the Anthony Crawler fight and bringing over some cheap African geezer to come and get his head kicked in in Manchester. <laughs> That's what it boils um, down to. Isn't it? it is. Some it is. African Because there's not the money there within like Box Nation and Queensbury promotions to get the big, big fights over here. So maybe, you know, as much as he's trying to overcome the political issues, he's actually trying to get his fighter a big fight. And maybe, you know, the only feasible way to do it is just to hand him over essentially for one night well it feels like a natural point then to move on to the question we've been given by scott mcgee thanks scott and he asks which promoter slash manager would you send your child to and let's say of potential european title levels there's a multitude of ways you can answer that i guess but uh yeah far away yeah it's a really good question actually i think scott had said himself uh he would go with frank warren yeah, so it's it's a really, really good question. Actually, we're going to come on later around the issues of, um, say, Matchroom and their promotional stable and, you know, keeping all the plates spinning, essentially. So in terms of if I had a kid that you kind of... If you say that you've nurtured them through the small halls and you've got them to, like, 15 and 0 or whatever... Um, and then you need to hand them over to somebody to take them on to the next just, level. Just, just before we ca- cannot, can we just dif- when he's put promoter slash manager, I've immediately gone with promoter. What is the difference before we go? Okay, so Eddie Hearn, for instance, is a promoter. He doesn't hold a manager's license. Um, so a promoter. <laughs> I was chatting with Steve Goodwin about this a while back, actually, and uh, he holds both. So he can promote and manage people. Uh, And Eddie Hearn puts it quite well in one of his interviews. That he said a promoter's job is to try and make the most money out of a fighter um, by... (laughs) Well, essentially they want to take on the biggest risk and make the most money. Should be the way that it works. So the manager is there to guide the career. And so they're there to take the least risks and try and get the most money in, right? That's would weird. make sense. But, then, but Hearn seems to act like a manager. Though. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he is. Like, you know, unofficially, he's a manager <laughs> for a lot of these fighters. Like, he doesn't do it by name, um, but he, he manages a lot of their careers. Um, so the manager's job is to try and guide the fighter through the, the, the path of least resistance um, whilst making the most potential money out of them. That's what they do. They're a manager. Right, yeah, makes sense. So the promoter is there. So whatever decision the management and the coach take for that fighter, then they hand that over to the promoter. The promoter's there to promote it. So they've got to try and sell whatever the, the manager has decided upon. So um, I suppose a manager is almost like in, like in kind of like an agent or something, as we would normally know in other yeah, sports. Yeah, yeah. And the promoter is almost like... I don't know, a boss that's using you as a as a utility or, or as you as a product. Yeah. Trying to sell you as yeah, a Yeah, and they're trying to make the most money out of you possible. Um, so everyone's how, in it to make the most money, ultimately. Who would you say then in this pool? What would you be looking at? So we're so looking at. What are your pool, options? You've yeah, got- <clears throat> we're looking at, say, Mick Hennessy, Frank Warren, Eddie Hearn. Uh, yeah, at European level, you're looking at those three. You then like overseas. You've got the Sauerland brothers have started taking on some British fighters, so they've taken. They're on, in Germany, right? Yeah, so they've taken on George Groves, David Price. Uh, they've taken on Richard Comney, who's a Ghanaian uh, lightweight as well. Who's gonna? He's gonna cause issues in this division. He's fighting for the IBF title, I think it is soon. So they took him on. He was working with Steve Goodwin. I don't think there was an official uh, like promoters thing, but they were, his manager Mickey and Moo was working with Steve Goodwin, and it kind of it outgrew the Goodwin stable. And he went and signed up with Sauerland over right. in Germany, and they've now got him 
you know, he's had a few under the radar fights and he's had to fight in various places, but they've now got him into a world title position. Still undefeated, good fighter. Going back to the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so basically what we've come up with is Hennessy, Hearn, um, the Salem brothers and Warren. Yeah, now I... I I'm, I'm I'm assuming for, I think we're probably best off excluding the USA because you know yeah. you've got you've got a you've got a kid you're not about to fly them over to America unless yeah. you know as a general and, and the USA Joe, won't won't typically take on somebody who's not world level anyway right um, yeah okay so. there's exceptions like Jason Quigley for instance like he's with Golden Boy Promotions and uh, Anthony Agogo went with a Golden Boy Promotions both but there are exceptions the beginning to the rule career, rather than... yeah there were reasons for that so. I'm going to agree with Scott, actually. I think Frank Warren would be the person to, to take them to that European level. And actually, like this is slightly coincidental, but it feeds into a point we're going to discuss later about um, Matchroom having too many fighters at the kind of top end of the sport um, and what happens to those that are you know, kind of lost in the mix, really, which is happening for quite a few fighters. So I think if you're talking European level... Plus, if you're talking European level, you know Frank Warren can just buy some fucking WBO European title and go, well, there you go, like, have that and fight. You know, for the European title, you'll probably be fighting someone from Brazil. Like, <laughs> it'll, it'll be that corrupt, it'll be fine. He comes over, he's already bleeding. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean... Okay, so can I ask why you wouldn't choose the other? Is it more the fact that Frank Warren wins on the pros rather than the others losing on the cons, or do you see specific negatives of going with, say, because uh, immediately what jumps out on me would be Eddie Hearn seems to almost like be too busy with these other fighters. That's what he seems. Yeah, he seems to be snowed under. He takes everything on himself. I mean, from an outside perspective, that's what it looks like, and you'd get forgotten about. Yeah, it would be exactly that. And I say we will we'll talk about that a bit yeah. more in depth later. Mick Hennessy doesn't have a TV deal at present, so we're seeing him tie up with Frank Warren now for the uh, the Huey uh, the Huey the Tyson Fury fight against Klitschko. So that's going to be on Box Nation. But he doesn't have his own TV deal, so you can't get fighters that exposure that they perhaps require. Um, the other one, I suppose, is Cyclone Promotions, which is Barry McGuigan's lot, who have taken over Hennessy's Channel Five TV deal. So that's the other option and. They're too much of an unknown quantity at present. Like you, they put on the show with Lee Haskins and Andrew Selby at the uh, Cardiff Ice Arena last month, and it didn't sell hugely. It didn't get massive amounts of exposure, despite it being a very, very good card. Um, I think Warren would be a safe pair of hands if that kid went from European to world level. You'd get them straight out of there. <laughs> <laughs> you would kick the door down to get out of that place as soon as possible because, as we're seeing, like a world-level champion, Liam Smith, Terry Flanagan, Billy Joe Saunders, they don't get the, the opportunities. Maybe they are making good money, I don't know, but they're not getting opportunities to enhance their legacy, particularly under Frank Warren. And so then, in a nutshell, once you were that above that European level, you're leaving Frank Warren, who would you go to then? Would it be... It'd be Hearn. Like, you know, if you're talking UK, unless you've got an exceptional talent on your hand that happened to win a world title, um, then maybe America would be interested in some way. Uh, maybe you could, you know, pique the interest of an Al Heyman or something like that. But otherwise, Hearn is the obvious choice for, for anyone that's kind of a, a world titleist in the UK. He's proven that he can bring in good fights, get lots of people to come and watch him, make people good money. It would be a no-brainer. Okay, smashing. Um, I wanted to ask you a question actually. Oh, thank you very much for that, Scott. That was a fab question. Yeah, I like that. Happy days. Um, and it's actually inspired this question from me, which was, what What do you think? Do you think it would be a good thing to have, say, some exuberant billionaire coming into the sport in the UK? Let's just say, for example, someone like. Richard Branson, who has like a public profile anyway, and said, I want to come in, I want to do an Al Heyman version. So you mean like, say for instance, if Don King like happened to win the American lottery and boost his <laughs> coffers again and could then like, you know, somebody with a... Let's say he buys, he says to, like, because initially it came from the fact I was thinking, why doesn't anyone do any boxing on ITV? And that, you know, it's free to air TV. So I thought if someone came in and went like, I'd did a deal with ITV, chucked a load of money at him, said, I want to buy this TV 
slot, but also had a profile that would generate media interest that they could then jump on with and then make, you know, sort of generate interest in the boxing. It seems to me like it would be a good thing. Um, I realise that philanthropists, well, not philanthropists, but, you know, boxing fanatical billionaires aren't just don't just grow on trees but what do you think the pros and cons would be yeah no i think i think the one the example of the scenario you're talking about i think that gap will in time be filled by anthony joshua i think he's going to outgrow um eddie hearn i think he will or match room i think he will eventually you know assuming that he continues at the rate that he's going and you know, if a few fights down the line, he was, I think he's got a year and a half, two years left with match room on his promotional contract. If you could project two years down the line, if, and it's big if, of course, if he became the unified heavyweight champion of the world, he's outgrown match room and all that at that point. So like he could, same as David Hay has Haymaker promotions and in his prime, that was quite successful. Like there's no reason Joshua couldn't make Joshua promotions. Um, and ultimately end up, you know, he could demand huge amounts of money from TV broadcasters to take his product onto their channels. Um, and then he starts to build his own stable underneath that. Like, Hay had a few fighters back in the day underneath himself. You know, Joshua could either team up with others or, or do something like that. So I think you could actually see it organically grown out of boxing. That mm, Joshua's got that mainstream appeal already. He's got that crossover. Yeah, true enough. Um, you know, people know him outside of boxing. He, uh, it, it'll depend completely on his own boxing career, but and his ambition to do that. I mean, I, I, I accept the fact that you'd you'd kind of expect that if he if he could do that, he'd probably want to, given if he's that passionate. about Oh, boxing. but it comes down to money, doesn't it? So, like at the yeah. moment, Hearn will be taking his ten percent or whatever promotional fee from everything that he earns. So, if he could see. And I'm not saying he necessarily himself, but if he had a team of people around him that could see the benefit in going off and like, you know, cashing in essentially on his popularity, his name, his ability, his talents, um, and make lots more money out of it and do it directly rather than through a third party, then I wouldn't be surprised like in time to see him outgrow Matchroom. Okay, um, let's move on. Speaking about Joshua... Uh, let's. Oh, there you go. Yeah, must be bridged. <laughs> let's talk about his next step on the route to this uh, organically grown boxing promoter, Lord of the Universe, <laughs> as he f- takes on b- 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 Febreze. Febreze, Dominic Febreze, <laughs> um, Brazili, Brazil, Brazil, Dominic Brazil. I'm not even going to try that anymore. Um, yeah, so that's coming up Saturday night at the O2. Um, Sky pay-per-view, you'd be surprised to know. <laughs> uh, I saw somebody, give you an idea of the odds on this, somebody put... Um, if, oh, I saw this. <laughs> this can, you if you're say? complaining about the cost of uh, the pay-per-view and it costing you £16.99, there's an easy way to cover that cost. If you put on £568, <laughs> I think it was, on a Joshua win, then your profits will be £16.99. <laughs> so you're getting it for free. <laughs> like, that's the odds on him winning this fight, is that you'd have to put on something like £568 mm. to win back £17. Um, so that sums up Dominic Brazil, really. Um we don't know a lot about him. He was in with a guy called um, Mansour who floored him. He's undefeated, Brazil. He's an ex-Olympian like um, Joshua himself. Yeah, he got floored by somebody that isn't in the elite levels of the heavyweights. He got up and the, the fight ended in the end because I think uh, Mansour ended up biting his tongue and like there was too much blood coming out. Um, yeah, it was something pretty horrible like that. So it wasn't a, a legit kind of finish by Brazil, and that's probably his biggest test that he's had to date. And now he ends up getting handpicked as a, a Joshua opponent that won't go past three rounds, be my guess. Um, yeah, he's come over, given it all the rhetoric that you, you know you've come to expect. We heard it all uh, from the likes of Charles Martin saying, oh, "I'm coming over. I'm going to finish Joshua." Oh, he was good, wasn't he? Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, the way that, that fuck fell over straight away, <laughs> the moment the wind blew, <laughs> fucking got caught on his sailing shorts. Oh man, what a knob. Mm. Um, so yeah, like Brazil. Do we know much about him? Not really. Um, 
there was some worrying footage of him like hitting a heavy bag. <laughs> he was <laughs> he hitting the he heavy. Didn't knock b- him out, did it? <laughs> He was hitting the heavy bag and his coach was stood behind him and you've got to turn your body into those shots. You've got to... Yeah, of course you have. And like, you're fighting for a world title in <laughs> yeah, a couple of weeks. kind of know that. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. You can't be learning that now. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, yeah, so that... I don't know. That's indicative of the kind of uh, warrior that we're expecting to come and fight at the O2. So... It's going to be garbage, would be my guess. Like, Joshua's going to deck him in free. We're going to get ticker tapes come down. <laughs> it's not a good fight. It's first defense of his world title. Oh, because you can imagine, yeah. you can hear the sky rhetoric yeah. already, can't you? Know, you know, bookies are very, very rarely wrong. So for him to be priced, I think it's 1 to 33 or something to win this fight, there's a, a very good reason for that. Okay, um, let's move on to another potential effective walkover. <laughs> Eubank Jr. fights Tom Duran. Now, how has this come about? Like, why? It just feels like um, it feels like it's come out of nowhere. Well, it's more the fact that I don't understand. It feels like he's almost, you know, assisting his career in stagnating. That's what I don't understand. It feels like he would have an opportunity to move up a lap. This is a British title, right? Yeah. Why is he still going for British title? Well, he's got the British title, the one that he won against Blackwell. So he's, he's defending, he's defending against, it. What? Why can't? Is is it? <laughs> can he not go for a European or world title? Is this? Yeah, yeah. He was in line to fight Danny Jacobs for the WBA regular one because Glovkin's got the super title, and he didn't. He turned down that opportunity, and instead he's defending his British title. So. Going back to Scott's question earlier about which promoter would you be with, etc., for like European level fighter, Eubank, like he's been with every promoter, he's trying everyone out, and now he's back to Matchroom for this because the last one he left Matchroom previously, he went and fought Nick Blackwell on the Hennessy card, and now he's back with Matchroom for this. I'm sure Matchroom would love to build a um a pairing of Joshua and Eubank. Oh, so yeah. like if you. In America, they have um, Golovkin and Roman Gonzalez always fight on the same card, and like that brings in attention. And so, like, I'm sure Matchroom would love Joshua and Eubank um, for the two of them to fight on cards together. I'm sure would be their wet dream. Um, <laughs> but as it is, Eubank kind of I don't know. He seems to slot himself about a little bit and go with whoever's going to pay him the most. But fair enough. So he's fighting Tom Duran. Tom Duran's an undefeated fighter, um, former prize fighter champion. Uh, he was put down in a recent fight against uh, Keelaher. Um He got back up and he won. It was a pure firefight between the two. Of them. A really fun fight to watch. But again, it kind of showed you the levels this lad's at. You know, like Eubanks only lost and he didn't lose it conclusively as to a current world champion. Like Duran got floored by somebody that most people won't be aware of. It was just like relentless attack from around was it yeah yeah from both sides like they just had a pure firefight for was it like watching Conor Ben or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> he's on the undercard of this as well yeah is he fuck's sake <laughs> um, punch that's all you need to do walk and punch you see rock'em sock'em robots that's what you need to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so no your question like what is he doing with his career is so valid so Hearn's been talking about, oh, you know, he's got Eubank in on the premise that apparently he gets him the Golovkin fight this year. Uh, And that was like Eubank and Eubank Senior's demands of going back to working with Eddie Hearn is that we'll come to you if you get us the Golovkin fight. Now, that might seem like career suicide, but they must see something in Eubank or they see a weakness in Golovkin that says that they can take that and and win that fight because that's apparently like whether you believe it or not because this seems a little bit like um Warren always talking about how Liam Smith for instance is going to get the Canelo fight or he's going to get the the this fight or the that fight or the Amir Khan fight and then he ends up fighting Pedrag Blevlevich um <laughs> and you know the same for like Terry Flanagan oh we'll get him the qualify we'll get him the Linares fight and then you bring over Farner who no one knows or cares about that seems a little bit like um, they're using Golovkin's name as bait for like get people in yeah. uh, based on the Golovkin name to sell this fight, and then will that Golovkin fight come off? Like I hope it does because that's such a good fight. Like that is a fun, yeah, quality well, yeah, fight. Like the same thing. Eubank probably doesn't win it, but 
Yeah, so that that was another question I was about to... Is he ready for that? And will he ever be ready for that? Because he, he just seems... He seems like he's got a lot of talent. Um, but these fights don't seem to be testing him enough to improve that. You know, so... We'll give him we'll give him a pass on the Blackwell fight because that's for the British title. Like every fighter yeah. wants to win a British title. Yeah, which is fine. You no, know, if he wants to do it organically, I f- I understand that. But it almost seems like here you you could almost be forgiven for thinking, is he actually going to defend it three times? Yeah, this this is an odd one, isn't it? Like this is almost a tick over fight for me that like he needs to be out in action again. Um, and that's kind of to me that's why it seems like it's taking it. As you ask the question, is he going to defend it three times? If he does, that's three wasted fights, ultimately, yeah. because there aren't that many yeah. middleweights around at British level that can make it worthwhile. That's going to enhance his his skills or his you know um, legacy. He needs to be moving up a level to that kind of world level, and you know taking on the likes of Danny Jacobs and getting a decent fight out of it. So just to sort of. I think you've pretty much confirmed this for me anyway. When I first originally said at the beginning, this is effectively a walkover. Am I being unfair to Tom Duran, given he's an, he's undefeated? Or Tom Duran can bang like that's his best hope is that he. But we've not seen Eubank being pinned down by anyone, and so like, what makes you think Tom Duran has got the skill set to be able to do it? I I don't think he personally has. Um, so it's probably not a walkover. I'd say maybe six rounds. Something like that. But Eubank will have it mostly his own way. I'd be surprised if not. Okay, moving on to a fight on the same card. Murray versus Groves. So, this is this is a bit more competition element to it, right? Uh, it has a competitive edge yeah, to it. Yeah, the odds on this one are slightly more <laughs> even on both. Is um, How even? I think George Groves is a slight favourite with bookmakers. Oh, okay. Um, so, right. But not huge. I'm talking like four to six for Groves oh, okay. and six to four for Murray, something like that. Yeah. So it's it's not huge disparities in it. It's, What's your thoughts? It's hard <laughs> to get excited about. <laughs> it's so hard because loads of boxing fans, I'll say boxing, a lot of people get a boner about this fight. <laughs> like, I'm not on it <laughs> at all. Like, I need Viagra for this. It's, uh, it's not doing it for me. So you've got two people. That That's be- saying something as well, to be fair. <laughs> I've got two people in this fight who have lost seven world title fights between them, not one one. <laughs> and like Battle of the Losers. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> is a little bit. Um so taking it for what it is, it's it's a it's an okay fight. It's a good domestic fight. Um I think I heard um a pre fight head to head clip yeah. of saying what has he got over you and he said he hasn't been knocked out where I've been, whereas I've been knocked out. <laughs> yeah, as that Mark, uh, Mark sent it to us. Yeah, didn't he? yeah, um, and then it's oh, and he dresses well or something. Which yeah, I think that, that's what, that's he was what Groves said. To. Like, Murray dresses better than I do. I get a lot of stick for that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm really not that excited about it, and yet this is, in essence, this is the selling point to the card. Um, I think that's maybe why I'm not excited about it. Is that it's this big pay per view show, and this is almost like the best fight on there. This fight, if it was on the top of a, a Saturday night fight night card on regular Sky, fair enough. Like then you'd be quite interested. But the fact that it's an undercard on a pay per view, like that, kind of takes away some of the uh, the glamour for it for me personally. Um, well, because it feels like it's not good enough to be exploited like that, or um, almost like it. <laughs> I don't think it's good enough for pay per view to yeah. be like the main support to a shit pay per view headliner. <laughs> Um, I don't think it's that good a fight. I think it is a good Sky Saturday night fight. Like this can't carry the pay per view on its own. It's two tart fights in there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this doesn't for okay. for me. It doesn't get me that excited. It, we're just gonna see what's left of both fighters. So Martin Murray hasn't really been tested up at super middleweight since he moved up from middleweight when he lost to Golovkin. Um, George Groves, you know, he always looks like he's he's getting on. Uh, you know, he lost to Badu Jack, and then he's come back and had a couple of wins since. I feel a bit sorry for Groves in in actual fact. I feel like if I realise this is a lot ifs and ands, pots and pans, or whatever. But if he'd have beaten Froch that first fight, and let's say that would have then 
at the very least, probably got him two more fights against Froch, would you say? If if Froch wanted to, you know, yeah. adre- readdress the balance. Okay, so let's say he loses those two. But I just think that maybe that he, he missed the boat. Like, that, that stoppage in that first fight, probably, it might have just stopped some meteoric rise from him. I could be wrong. Maybe he was never destined for bigger things, but I just feel a little bit sorry for him. I feel like every time he's sort of almost got there, he's been slapped back down. And you could argue that's because he's not good enough, I suppose. But But isn't that like feeling sorry for Saddam Hussein when his body was getting dragged through like the Iraqi streets? Like, he's a bit of a dick. I don't care. (laughs) I'm not really that arsed that he hasn't gone on to achieve great things because he's a bit of a knock. Not that um, I'm drawing a direct comparison between <laughs> dictator responsible for the deaths yeah. of hundreds of thousands of individuals. And biologically destroying like hundreds of lives and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And a geezer that got knocked out of Wembley. Like, I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. there's a direct... Com- there is not a direct comparison <laughs> between the two. But <laughs> I feel sorry for neither. <laughs> right. Um, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah. Right, okay, let's um, move on to a talking point you wanted to speak about. You want to talk about matchroom fighters. This stems from your thoughts on how many matchroom fighters are in the stable and how many matchroom knights are they able to put those fights on? So how do they keep everyone happy? Is that the essence of your questioning? Yeah, Um, it came off the back of... And feel free to like question me throughout this because my maths ain't great and I'm going to delve into it a little bit. But you had um, Jake Ball, who I saw the other day. He's a light heavyweight prospect. Very, very good fighter. Um, he's a matchroom fighter and he tends to end up like on the non-televised fight. So he'll be on the ones at like five, six o'clock in the evening kind of thing. He's still early into his career. He's getting his fucking calculator out. <laughs> Whoa, you, you said feel free to test your maths. Uh, my maths is appalling. <laughs> so, so if you've got it wrong, the calculator will tell you if it's wrong. Uh, fair enough. So, Jake Ball, um, Eddie Hearn tweeted something out about the Leeds card that he's announced, uh, which we'll cover another date. Um, and he'd said about, oh, it's exciting because there's this fighter and there's that fighter and, like, Dillian White's going to be on it and it's going to have, like, Luke Campbell on it and it's going to be headlined by Josh Warrington. And I saw Jake Ball tweeted him back going, like, oh, and I'm on it as well. And I felt really sorry for him. Like, I'm not going to Saddam Hussein levels of feeling sorry for anyone here, but, like, it was almost as if he'd been forgotten by his boss at, like, Christmas bonus time or something. Like, oh, yeah, I'm still here, mate. I'm still here. Oh, yeah, and you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck off, Bully. <laughs> Um, so yeah there was that this week and then there was Ahara Davis who's uh, a very good lightweight prospect now what Matchroom are doing um, this week in the build up to Joshua Briazil is that they they did it last time when Joshua was fighting they got York Hall on a weeknight and they did an open public workout so people could come along like after work and see Joshua working out for free like Lee Selby was on there it's quite a cool thing to be fair and this time they're doing the same thing. I think it's on Thursday night, possibly, down at York Hall, uh, where it's free to get into. You get to see the likes of Joshua doing his public workout. You get to see Murray and Groves go through doing the pads and that. But they're also putting on two fights, which are Ahara Davis versus some um, fucking pregnant Hungarian or something. Um, and Craig Richards, I think, is the other one. Um, is he pregnant? <laughs> no no just the one guy that's pregnant now. <laughs> so you've got these two matchroom fighters that are fighting on a free show at york hall um both very very good talents it made me think like why because ahara davis should be getting the exposure of a tv channel and instead he's fighting for free oh, he's probably not fighting for free but it's a free event at york hall and so I was looking through the numbers, and like Sky recently like signed a new deal with Matchroom, whereby there's 20 shows per year. That's just domestic televised shows, not pay per views. Um, uh, how many pay per views? Is there a limit on how many pay per views? No, no. Like you've got to assume it's going to be about eight, probably seven or eight. Um, would be well, my I suppose guess. There is a limit because people aren't going to pay them every. Exactly. Week, yeah, you so can't saturate. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to saturate that market with too many. So I'm trying to work this out, right? And I went through the Matchroom website. So, let's, so, so if we take it as eight, then let's say eight. Wait, a minute, what am I maths on the other page? Before you, uh, yeah, I went with eight, so you can say eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so I went through the Matchroom website and pulled out all their, their fighters. And I labelled them as like world level or British level or prospect level. So I won't bore you of all the names. Who's that prospect, Joshua, you've got around there? <laughs> <laughs> so of the active ones that you've got, you've got 42 active fighters. So I labelled 13 of them at world level, 19 at like British level, just underneath world. And some of those can swap over. So like Cal Yafai is going to be fighting for world titles soon. Josh Warrington probably will. Martin Murray has fought for world titles and could be shifted into that. But like, effectively, you've got to categorise them. So this is right yeah, yeah. and present. 13 yeah. world, 19 British and 10 prospects. Can I ask, right, so what relevance does this categorisation have? Are you going to come to that later? Or? Yeah, yeah, don't right. fucking pull my rabbit out of the hat already, son. Jesus. <laughs> no, I just wanted to know if that was important for... <gasps> oh, oh, I've come too quick. <laughs> oh. Right, okay, move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired now. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. Terry, come back. Uh, so, yeah, you had 10 that I labelled as prospects. So you got Bradley Saunders. This was where I was going to focus my attention, really. It was Bradley Saunders, who's been out for... He was a, a touted prospect, been out with hand injuries after a loss to Reynold Garrido. You got Charlie Edwards, you got Connor Ben, Isaac Chamberlain, Jake Ball, Marcus Morrison, Ahara Davis, Reese Bellotti, Ryan Burnett, and Ted Cheeseman. So you're not going to be that familiar with all those names because they don't get that much TV time. But that means of like those that are then world or British, there are 32 of them. So you got 32, and when you're talking world or British, they're the ones that you they're going to have an expectation that they're shown on Sky TV. That's why they're with Matchroom. They probably want to move, if they're in that British category, up to the world category. Um, So if you said world, like world level fighters, say they want to be out four times a year, say. like So in January, you'd be out in April again. Then you'd be out in, say, maybe July. And then you'd be out in about October. So you'd have four fights per year. So 13 of them, needing four fights a year, is 52 fights. You do the maths here, keep track of this. Uh, I wasn't even going to double check. <laughs> but I thought I'd probably bet. So you've got 19 that I've labelled at like British level. So their fights, you assume they're not going to be as hard. So say they want to be out five times a year, then that's 95 fight slots needed for them. And then you've got 10 prospects. Now prospects want to be out more often because they need to start building up that resume a bit more. So if you said they're going to be out six times a year, that's 60 fight slots needed. So not to recap on all the numbers, but in total, I promise you, that's 207 fight slots needed by the matchroom fighters over the course of one year. So you've got 20 shows, 207 fight slots needed between the, all of those different categories. Now, on each show, you've probably got five... A push, you'll show five TV fights, and then there'll probably be five non-TV fights that only the crowd see at the beginning, or nobody sees because nobody gets there that early. Or they're overcards, like Huey Fury's fight yeah. and they're half the yeah. Eubank fight. Um, so if you said there's 10 fights per show, on average, 20 shows, that's 200 slots available. So that's 207 in total that need fight slots, and there's 200... I, I, I'm a bit anxious at this moment that we're just feeding people numbers. Yeah, yeah, so like, don't worry too much about it. But my point is that, like... That basically, there's not that you, you're struggling with the mass of the amount of slots available. Yeah, and then fights. you can start looking at, like, the there's the pay-per-view ones to add on top of that. But then there are certain fighters that are only pay-per-view fights. So, like, AJ, for like Joshua, is only ever going to be on pay-per-view now. You're not going to see him elsewhere. Crawler will start to go that way. Brooke will start to go that way, providing they're both successful and start unifying. So that opens up the pay-per-view category without it just being big stacked cards, which we've seen before. Um... So yeah, it's really like again, not to reiterate the numbers or anything, but like going back to Scott's question earlier, where would you place a fighter that was like built up to European level? You couldn't put them in matchroom because you're saying that out of all these people, out of all these fighters, you've got if you've got a limited number of spaces, the ones those spaces are going to go to the basically they're, they're going to go to the the leaders in their division, like the world, yeah, yeah, but and the prospects are going to get crowded out, kind of thing, yeah. And so, like, you've got those ones in the middle, the British ones. So, Hosea Burton, British light heavyweight title holder, he doesn't get any exposure. Yeah, people don't know him particularly. And yes, he fights on the odd 
Sky Card, but he's not a household name by any means. He's an unbeaten good light heavyweight. How does he move on to that next level? The next level's already occupied. You've already got all the focus on the likes of Brooke, McDonald, Selby, Joshua, you know, then the likes of Ricky Byrne, who's gone and claimed a world title, Tony Bellew now, Callum Smith's going to be moved up there, Chris Eubank. All those names are at the very top. You've then got a few that you're going to want to get pushed in there. Like, is there a risk that, A, they're going to lose fighters? Like, these people get pissed off. So you saw there was a fighter recently went over to uh, Frank Warren, um, and the name escapes me, but he was quite a good prospect that uh, Matchroom lost. Are you going to see more people like that? Are you going to see that they just they want to stay with Matchroom because that's where the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is? And like they get under-nurtured somewhat through doing that, and you lose potential prospects. Um, or you could do what Eubank's doing, I guess. Yeah, go and sell yourself around. Although, obviously, he has the they has the undeniable benefit of the fact that his dad's Chris Eubank, and he yeah. gets a lot of you know attention through that. But it makes me think, is, is Hearn in it for the short term? So you build these household names. You don't bother nurturing the next generation of fighters to come along. Like every, you see it with Frank Warren. Every promoter has their moment in the sun kind of thing. Yeah. And like Warren's has gone and he's now struggling. Well, it wouldn't surprise I mean, You look at all sports, a lot of, say, football managers, and I, I realise I come to football a lot, but it's something I, I know a bit more about in comparison to other sports. And a lot of time, even brilliant managers have that moment in the sun and eventually they fade away. And it's almost like it's only the very, very elite managers that, that and I don't. I think m- most of the time it's just a mindset where they have a vision for the future. So you've got, say, Ferguson or Wenger or, you know, the, the like Ancelotti's that seem to keep rolling with it. And you know, obviously, a lot of that's fortune with money in football clubs. When it comes to boxing, it's. I mean, it would seem it. W- it would strike me as somewhat odd, given that Barry Hearn has been around for so long that Eddie Hearn would not be thinking about the future you know but Barry Hearn didn't want to carry on but the only reason Matchroom are doing boxing now is because of Eddie Hearn like he um promoted Audley Harrison and got Barry Hearn said no don't touch it at all um that's how that's how the story goes with it that's why Matchroom got back into boxing um what would his like what would his goal be if he was in money (laughs) no I realize that but surely he's got a lot of it now like is he sort of like I won't leave until I've got two hundred and fifty-six million four hundred eighty-six. You well, know, it's, you must have a lot of money anyway. So no, I agree, he probably has. But you've got this golden generation right now, I suppose. That in a, in an age where you've got so many world titles, Britain just by coincidence happens to have the most world title holders it's ever had. Um, is there a risk that he's just using that generation of fighters to cash out? And make as much money as I'm not blaming him for this. Could, by could the way. he just be struggling to manage it all? I mean, it seems a bit of a weak sort of. Um, maybe, but then surely you would just like cut off the chaff. So there's a few names in there that you just, you don't really need. Um, you know, the likes of <laughs> it's going to be really harsh. John Wayne Hibbert, he's fighting for WBC silver title on the undercard of the Joshua one. Does he need him? If you're struggling in the short term, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. like yeah. if you needed to cut off some of the names a little bit and like. I don't know, but these prospects at the bottom end of it aren't benefiting from however many world title holders we have at the top end of it because they're going to get lost in the in the mix somewhat. And you must, as a prospect, you must feel slightly aggrieved that you're sitting waiting around, and then Eubank comes. Eubank comes along, and goes, "Yeah, I'll take one of your slots." What's worse is Conor Ben comes along, and they all sit there going, (laughs) "I'd fucking chin him." (laughs) He's useless. Um, But I mean, it's almost like you need a loan system, don't you? Matchroom had the fight pass system where they would broadcast small hall shows i think the idea was they were meant to also let some of their fighters go on it never really happened but you almost need that agreement from like matchroom to loan out some of those younger prospects to shows around the country and i know marcus morrison um who's another light heavyweight he was on a a manchester show last night uh, which the first example i can think of it for a very long time of happening but yeah i say is it's almost just to pose the question is it that eddie hearn is you know, making the most money-wise out of this generation of fighters without really caring too much about what's coming through or giving that much focus and attention to it. 
is that possibly significant in terms of like he's got a five-year plan maybe to get out of the sport so you do all this work now you get all these ones to world title levels you make all that money then you sell match room and then leave. you don't need those fighters afterwards mm. you know though you don't need to be nurturing young prospects if that's the business model i'm not saying it is it's just you know food for thought i suppose it's time for argue the inarguable just or- to, just to be Clear, this isn't like defend the indefensible on, Absolutely on fighting not. tool. Completely different. No, no. Like, I just I want to clarify that. Sorry, what, what, what program? No, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I mean, fighting talk is a, nah, a five live. It, they've got a very similar. I'm not saying you're taking it or anything. Similar. I don't feature. even know what it is, so I won't be asked to take it. Nah, I don't worry about it, mate. <laughs> In a way. Anyway, <laughs> the original. Argue the inarguable. Right, I have been sent in. And argue the inarguable. Really? Yes. Okay. I've missed this. Yes. From Scott McGee, who was our only contributor this week. So Good lad, Scott. A-star. Screw the nut, people. Come on. Top of the class. Yeah. Well done, Scott. Okay. Your point to argue is... Let's go. Kelbrook's resume outshines Carl Frotch's. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Frankie Gavin is the only British world amateur champion. Who beat Frankie Gavin? Kel Brook. Don't need the rest of the time. Thank you very much. <laughs> but if you did need the rest of the time and you weren't going to try and shortchange people... Don't need it, right? You've got one British... The greatest achievement in the amateur sport, which schools the professional sport, is to win the World Amateur Championship. Only one person's ever done that. Frankie Gavin, Britain's greatest ever amateur boxer, got smashed to pieces by Kel Brook. Kel Brook is the greatest fighter of all time in Britain. Wow. Okay. Well, that age of 30 seconds. That you hurt. went above and beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I mean, I, I think I've heard you say that before, though. I'm not sure that was. <laughs> the only argument you can make is about Frankie Gavin's previous. <laughs> Jesus. Uh. Okay. Well, we'll be back <laughs> next week. And it should be about the same sort of time. Feel a bit more professional now. Terry's come on board. Feel like I have to make an effort and stuff. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I was always it's making clearly an gone downhill this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening. Have a tolerable week and goodbye from me. Bonsoir. That's topical. The Euros. Aye, sexy. I'm gonna beat it up, 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 beat it up